Welcome back to this week's episode of Local Love on KUCI in Irvine. I'm your host, Kenzie, and today I'm interviewing Beth Miller and Tyler Walker, owners of the independent vintage business Pilgrimage Goods, based in Los Angeles and found online. Today we talked about their background in thrifting, the drive that pushes their business, and the challenges of both owning a business and maintaining one in a competitive market. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the interview. The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. Hi guys, welcome to the show Local Love. I'm here with Beth and Tyler. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Right now, a lot of people are kind of starting their own businesses in quarantine. I mean, like out of, you know, boredom or, you know, this is something that they wanted to do beforehand and now they finally have free time. But you guys actually started your business a while ago. How did you guys get into the business? I've been working with vintage clothing for as long as I can remember. Um, I had my first vintage store job when I was 15. Um, I've been collecting since I was I don't know, 10, I would go garage sailing and, you know, collecting cool vintage things. So it's just always something that's been a passion of mine and that I've just kind of come natural, you know, to me and that I've always done. No, yeah, definitely. Like, I know that right now it's like, I feel like I'm yearning to like go into like thrift stores right now, specifically to like establish a business. Yeah, well, I mean, thrifting is not only, it's like a passion, it's my downtime if I want to go. Absolutely. Like I go to a thrift store. No, yeah. I feel like a lot of people don't understand that thrifting is like also retail therapy. Like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's gross. Like people already, you know, wore it. It's like, no, you're getting that half off. And it's cool. And I just got some serotonin. <laughs> yeah. And it's like there's this such thing as like the thrill of the hunt. Like when you find that yeah. gem, you could ride. I'm still riding high on something I found like two years ago. Like I still can't <laughs> yeah. it. You know, it's amazing. And what about you, Tyler? How did you get into it? Um, similar to Beth, uh, I, I didn't work in in uh, vintage, but uh, I have memories of going to the thrift store with my grandma when I was a little kid. We would always stop and do yard sailing. That was like our weekend activity with my grandma. We would stop at yard sales, um, and I would only wear vintage Hawaiian shirts when I was ten years old in Washington. It was the coolest thing. Um, I feel like it's still the coolest thing. Nineties. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then, um, I met Beth and, uh, found that we had a similar passion. Um, and yeah, we decided, let's see if we can do this and make some extra, make some extra money. Living in LA is not cheap. Nope. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I was going to ask what is different about LA thrifting when compared to somewhere else? Cause like you guys were just recently, you know, working in a different state and I was wondering, were you able to access any thrift stores? What, did you guys notice any differences between yeah, LA? is picked. There's nothing in. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so expensive here. Yeah. Like even just like your independent thrift store is more expensive. Yeah. Your chain thrift store is more expensive. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I've walked into a, a Savers in the LA area and they're asking $100 for some, you know, not so good leather jacket just because yeah. it's vintage whereas like you go out of state and you go to other places 
it's just it's, it's more affordable it's the way that thrifting should be yeah you know? like i've seen i've seen blogs on um some of my favorite youtubers channels and they'll come from like you know the midwestern area some of them are in texas and they're like oh you know this is a little bit pricey I'm, i might not buy it and it'll be like 350 and i'm like 350 you can't find a t-shirt in yeah. like a chain chain goodwill for 350. I went to this thrift store in Chicago. It was called like Value Village or something like that. And I was looking right. for um for the show that for I was working on. And I had four of the largest <laughs> bags of clothing like I have ever had in my entire life. It was filled with pants and sweaters and shirts and like all these different oh things. Oh for all of it. Yeah. That's crazy. No, see, that's that's what we need here. And yeah. that's crazy too, because especially when these thrift stores are meant for like lower income families, it's it's kind of crazy that Los Angeles does mark it up because even though it, you know, like a secondhand thrifter on Depop or something might be able to afford it, just like the lower income families can't. And it's it's kind of crazy that we have been noticing not only a markup just over the years, but I'm kind of convinced that after, you know, like the whole Etsy boom of, you know, the early 2000 teens, um, like things have been slowly driving up the price in those um, secondhand stores. 100%. I mean, like you, Goodwill and these companies, they're supposed to be like a nonprofit charity organization. These things are donated to them. And the markup that they put on them is just, it's ridiculous. And it has been since the Etsy boom and since vintage became popular and the trendy thing to do because years ago when I used to thrift in my early 20s or in high school you could find these amazing things from the 70s or right yeah and they were cheap goodwill right. have a, a website for like the cream of the crop that they get in and they actually have sorters that will take like the vintage from the 70s or like the things that they think are going to be super expensive and they pull it out of their stores and they post it on their website and sell it for a lot of money even though it was donated to them for free yeah goodwill right. on ebay too yeah um the seattle goodwill is one of like their big major stores and they sell a lot out of ebay um or a lot out of seattle on ebay that's crazy i've never heard of that before yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. So um, it's it's definitely like, it's it's a game now. Like people like finding, and finding what these stores think are worth money versus like what right. really are worth money are kind of funny but as well. But they always get it wrong. They never yeah. get it right. <laughs> right. And like for your business, like where do you find most of your product? There is no one general place. It's really all over. I mean, we've had our luck at thrift stores or Goodwills flea markets like we'll buy it right. um you know we'll troll craigslist and like facebook marketplace and see who's having yard sales like oh, yeah. a great place um we've taken you know out-of-state road trips before and gone shopping like that's so cool that'd be yeah. so fun <laughs> um There's rag houses like down in la um more like vernon area and like the industrial parts of la There's right. these giant warehouses that have clothing and there's different types like the one we like to go to is more um, curated yeah and more organized where things are on the racks but oh, they have, yeah that's a bonus <laughs> yeah and it's it's nice but they have ones where you can actually like dig in piles bins. yeah the bins yeah i was gonna mention the bins shop like by pound um right i've always wanted to do it but we just have never done it because you know it's like hazmat suit dirty yeah. like yeah 
there's a minimum purchase. Like generally, it's you have to spend at least five hundred to a thousand dollars to even go to them. Um, you need your oh whole gosh. Um, and it's it's hit or miss. Like whenever we go, that's kind of where you get your your stock from, like your bulk. Like if we need a, just a lot of things, you go there um, because you can. We'll spend twelve hours there and leave with like. 300 pieces or something. Right. That's, that's dedication right there. It is. And, and for every, you know, 30 things that you look for, like maybe one is maybe 30, 300 things you look at. Maybe one is decent because half old, disgusting and, and dirty or stained or whatever. Then you find one gem and you're stoked and then you turn it to the back and it's just completely shredded or something. But um, that's where you find like the bulk of your stock, but it's, it's hard to find gems there still. We find most of our, our gems just randomly at like thrift stores, yeah. yard yard sales and stuff. A lot of people do estate sales too. Yeah. Um, we haven't really like, I used to do a lot of estate sales like a few years back, um, but I haven't so much recently, but you can find some really good stuff at estate sales. I was going to say like estate sales are, I feel like a lot of like times people just, I don't want to say aren't brave enough to do it, but the idea of it weirds them out. And I feel like, what people need to understand is when you go into an estate sale, you can also approach it with a better mindset. I used to work estate sales and oh my goodness, the claws come out. People get so, yeah. I've seen people like climb under garages, um, rip off like, cause in the beginning of an estate sale, there's a list that's posted and then you write your name like first come. Right. And that's like who gets first in line. I've seen people like steal the list, redo the list, get into Oh no. Like, it's crazy. When people are just treating it, just, you know, tearing up things just to be the first to have it, that's that's just a lot. But then I was going to ask, too, like, not only did you guys come into, like, this business um, already having an interest in the, like, you know, the thrift. So it's like you already had that kind of general knowledge of, like, how much energy and time am I going to put into this? But, like, I was wondering, like, what did you guys learn from like the business aspect of it? Was there more permits than you guys thought there were? Was there like a lot more to do than that was what was expected? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all of that's true. Um, so much that I don't even remember all the permits. That, um, so sorry, but um, you can. What what was challenging was even like googling it. It's it's tough. Like I remember having to have like six different pages up on different areas on like what I need to have. And there was conflicting information, yada, yada, yada. Like you have to get your DBA, uh, you're doing business as, so you can trademark your name and then you, but that's not even trademarking your name. You also have to trademark your name. When you, you get have, the, sorry to interrupt you. When you get the doing business as, then you have to get it posted in a newspaper. Oh yeah. my gosh. It has to run for two weeks and then you actually have to go, you had to go somewhere. Yeah, I had to go to the um, the court office yeah. and file. We also had to get our wholesale license. And then we filed as a partnership. Um, you have to decide if you want to like file it as a partnership or as an LLC. So we had to like decide like, you know, which decision we we're going to make with that. Right. Because yeah. we're together and we wanted to go in as partners if it's multiple people in the same business yeah. you have to otherwise you can just leave it as a solo solo only right, yeah language in hindsight um not knowing i think we were going to get married in hindsight yeah. <laughs> it is sole ownership because it has a whole bunch of extra things that come with it when you're a partnership versus an llc so just doing more homework like we did a lot of homework but we probably could have done even more homework and um 
not anticipating the hours that come with this because we don't have a brick and mortar. We try to right. sell online and it takes a long time to A, find the pieces and then you have to clean the pieces and wash yeah. them steam them and then you have to measure them and then you have to photo them and then you have to upload them online and then you have to write a description and you know I had to build a backdrop so I can yeah. put everything on top of the backdrop so it didn't look ugly hanging on <laughs> a closet door that we tried and then realized yeah. it looked dumb and then there's like not only one picture you have to take but you have to take a picture from this angle, yeah. angle then like try to style it a little yeah. bit and then yeah. you know writing your descriptions that like no one seems to read so they ask you all the time what size it is if they would just read down yeah. <laughs> people i know like me sometimes i'll be like hey can you like post a picture of it on like, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. like hey can i see it on a body and i think that definitely does help like we don't do our stuff on a body but you know having i, I see these companies that do have these like these vintage dealers who are like really cute you know vintage girls and they right. have their own brand and they put something on and like you know other girls get girl crushes on them like I'm super guilty of it like I have girl crushes on vintage dealers that like when they post something I'm like I have to have it but like it looks cute on them not on me you know but no, that's something that I always have to approach buying things with is like okay am I wanting the object or do I simply want to look like the person wearing that object <laughs> which as a business so like that's a great thing to have is like you want people to want to be like you like you want to influence people in in some way you know like that's part of it too is like we put out like a brand ethos statement that's like you know we are from LA we ride motorcycles we go to the beach we go to concerts like we, you you know if you think we're cool then that's rad and we want to give you some clothing that we find are really cool. And we're hoping that we can inspire you to want to kind of live the culture that we live through our clothing. So, you know, by having that vibe that someone looks at somebody and goes, man, do I want that shirt or do I want to be like that person? That's then that person did their job as really marketing their brand. And the, the places of dealers and the stores who do that are, are really successful. And I wish I'm very modest, so I have a hard time being in front of the camera. Like I'd rather dig through the pile and find the amazing stuff than like, you know, model it. That's not who I am. Right. But yeah, I think that we do kind of suffer because we don't yeah. do that. And we're gonna take a moment real quick to hear a message from KUCI. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. And I would just like to take a moment to remind the listeners that you're listening to Local Love on KUCI in Irvine. I'm currently talking to Beth and Tyler. They're both the owners of the um, independent vintage brand, Pilgrimage Goods. We're just currently talking about what goes into maintaining this business and just starting it up as well as their histories with going into it with an interest in thrifting. And so we were just talking about, you know, exactly how much goes into it, both time, energy, and paperwork. That is something a lot of people don't get to, because I know I will see like amazing, just like vintage brands like yours. And I will think like, oh, like this is so cool. Like I could just easily do this. And it's just like the time and investment that you also have to put in both just like 
financially, but just making sure like quality control. It's like, I just don't think a lot of people understand that this is it. Like, this is a job. This can sometimes be a career for people. Yeah. And you have to think like too, like some people might look at a t-shirt that you're selling for X amount of dollars and think that it's ridiculous that you're, you know, charging that much for a t-shirt. But then you got to think of like the time that we put in to find it and then yeah. to photo and describe it and then all that stuff so and then knowing like you can't charge really what how long it took you because then it's going to be ridiculous if you try to put like a dollar per hour you know right yeah and the t-shirt's really not worth that so you kind of take a hit on that you know by itself but if you really think of like you know the price that we put up includes you know the hardship that it took us to actually find the piece and to get it on the screen in front of you like we have to charge for that also otherwise like we're not getting paid for our time as a business and you're losing money at that yeah, point so yeah. people don't think of that they just look at it and go like oh that's a cool t-shirt why would i spend that much money on a t-shirt these things are deteriorating you know what i mean they're not going to be around for much longer so it's also that they're precious and you pay for the fact that they're precious yeah. No, yeah, definitely. And it's like, there are definitely some items that I'll find too when I'm shopping and it's like, you'll find it and you will just have to accept that price because taking into the consideration of like, if it's a seventies piece, so it's like, well, look at how long it's lasted. Like, look at like, you know, the quality of it, like it could still be wonderful. It could still be great. Or you could rework it into something even better. And it's like, you know, you do want to show appreciation in that way. And it, it does suck that a lot of times people don't agree with you know, a price that sellers have set when they've invested so much time into it. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely two, like, you know, like a food chain of, of where you are. Like, there are vendors who can sell the same things we have for three times three times the amount that we're asking for it in five seconds. Like, they post something on Instagram, yeah. they have so many followers. Yeah, they can sell it for so much where we have to schlep the same thing around and work for it <laughs> for it just to get you know the little bit that we're asking for it right um, or we've even had like these big dealers buy from us and be like hey I'm going to resell this and I'm like that's fine like yeah. we'll, we'll take our you know our pennies so you can go and yeah like yeah. I know you buy it for me at what I'm asking and then yeah. you're going to resell it for double and you're going to make money on it too but just because you know they have different customers that have deeper pockets and they've been around longer so it's something yeah. obviously we aspire to do but at the same time like you know we try to be true to the price of things and right just because we could maybe sell a shirt for you know five hundred dollars I'm throwing it out there um doesn't mean we would want to because we know it's really worth 250 or something so we yeah <laughs> sometimes people just think that if they can throw the word like you know vintage on something and it's from like Sears it's like that just isn't worth it. But then it's like when you guys do put in that time to find those real quality pieces, it's like, then that is absolutely like worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you yeah. want to find like the most amazing Levi Big E, you know, pair of jeans from 1930, like, you know, we'd be asking a lot of money for them. Yeah. yeah. Depends on what you the know. piece is, you know, and how yeah. rare it is. And if it's really like, okay, like try and find these again, like try and try and find it again. Yeah. We'll buy it because yeah. you can't, you know. And it's like, I was going to ask too, because you just got a little bit into, um, you know, talking about the um, kind of marketing competition. I was wondering, like, were you able to learn anything new um, about the community by doing this? The community tends to, um, they want to get to know you. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a hard just showing up to a flea market and being a first-time vendor. They want okay. the vendor that's been there, that they are familiar with, that they know. You know, there's, what is there, four or five major flea markets a month in LA? Right. ECC, Rose Bowl, um, Long, Beach Antique. Long Beach Antique, Melrose, Melrose, Fairfax. and then I think Santa Monica. Right. We've, we've done the PCC one. Um, that one's really, really, really hard because nobody wants to spend a lot of money there. Right. It's free to get in. Um, and you have Rose Bowl, which is the following weekend. So everyone's saving themselves for Rose Bowl because that's when like the heavy hitters, like the top of the top come out. And the Japanese market, which is a huge vintage Americana, um, Americana like it's cool. you know, sellers, purchasers, collectors. So Rose Bowl is like the cream of the crop and it's a little harder to get in. Um, mm-hmm. And then we've done Long Beach Antique, which is good. It's a, it's a steady, you know, and you can do really good there. Um, we've done Motorcycle Swap Meet. Motorcycle Swap Meet. We cater to that because it's uh, it's also in Long Beach and it's really a lot of old motorcycle parts. But then you get some small vintage dealers that come out with mainly like Americana, which which we tend to, to sell. So, you know, your old Pendletons, your Harley shirts your things like that um but they're kind of the same where they don't want to spend a certain amount because a lot of these old timers like have this stuff in their Mm -hmm. garage they're like i'm not going to spend this amount on a vintage harley shirt when you know what i mean my whole closet's vintage harley right a 60 year old motorcycle rider so (laughs) so we learned like oh if we sell at pcc we're going to bring our stuff price in x x range when we sell at long beach antique we're going to bring our stuff price in this range you know, or we could end up selling the same thing for cheaper at PCC and just sell it for, a, you know, a few more bucks at, at the other flea markets that we know we can actually make that money because the clientele is different. Yeah. So it really, kinda, it, it really, really depends. Like we, we messed up hard the first time we did PCC because we priced everything based on our internet sales and we were getting uh, big ticket prices because people were shopping from like New York and all these places. And we were like, sweet, these things are worth this amount of money. And we went there and we priced everything. And the booth next to us had a rack of like $10 t-shirts or whatever. And we're like 10 and bucks. they were hopping all day long. They killed yeah. it. Oh like they left with stacks of money and we left selling like two things. And yeah, we like, and okay. we also learned too, like, um, like merchandising our, our, our booth, our pop-up. Like we had the walls to make it like a little intimate. Right. Booth. Well, we learned thanks to the the vendors who were um, nonstop busy. You know, they were like, "Look, take the walls down. People want to see in the booth right. something when they're walking. Um, you know, they want to spot what you have like from a couple booths away. Yeah. And uh, just learn to be more inviting for for that clientele for that actual swap meet. Um, we've also tried doing pop up shops uh, in Orange County. You know, at little um, smaller kind of like flea markets and more curated. Um, we didn't do very well there because Orange County, it's, um, they want the free people flowy, you know, bohemian right. dresses where we're more like vintage Levi vests. And, you right, know. yeah. It's definitely like a, a market of, you know, specific taste towards specific. Yes. Very much. We sold yeah. a one free motorcycle show. We did really good there. Um, so it's really, it really is a learning of, you can't just open at any flea market in any culture and sell your stuff the same because you're going to get different customers. Yeah. So you're going to learn that. 
Just reminding the listeners that we're talking to Beth and Tyler, the owners of Pilgrimage Goods. It is an independent vintage company and I'm DJ Kenzie. So we were just talking about the ways in which you do have to cater to a, um, you know, a taste based off of the area. And, you know, I was just wondering, is the competition harder based off of each area that you're in? I would say that in LA, it's hard. There's a lot of competition. You know, there's a lot of vintage stores and vintage dealers here and Silver Lake Flea Market and Melrose Flea Market. And like we mentioned before, like PCC and Rose Bowl and antiques in the Long Beach Antique Market. Um, It's really, it's really flooded with this kind of subculture and this, you know, way of this picking life, you know, there's lots of pickers in LA. One thing that I've been trying to do um, that kind of helps boost at least our our sales or our traffic is um, we've moved a little bit with our platform where I was much towards Etsy in the beginning. Um, They take on a large percentage um, out of your sale, which sucks, but um, they are able, you're able to find them on Google and things like that. So it it helps you out and they have their own search engine within Etsy. So it's nice it's found. Um, and then we tried to make our own website, um, which was okay. I put a halt on that for a little bit because that gets expensive as well. And you need a um, pretty steady amount of traffic flow, um, or people that know you before they can, uh, navigate just solely to your own website. But, um, lately, um, what I've been noticing the trend for a lot of other vintage stores is solely just selling off of Instagram as a platform. I've noticed that. Either PayPal you or Venmo you. Um, uh, solely kind of through that, uh, mainly, uh, what's been working for us lately has been through our, just the stories and then putting up a little countdown, like, oh, at 5 PM in seven hours, we're going to be loading a bunch of t-shirts and then having the price and the measurements all there in one quick snap picture. Um, now we've been selling more than we have in a long time that way. And then one thing that I've been doing to, with our competition is you find who is your competition like on Instagram, like our direct competition, I have like five or six vintage dealers in my head. I follow them directly. And whenever they post a shirt that sells, I look at all the people that commented on their page and who bought the shirt and everything. And then I follow them from my company, the notification like, oh, who's Pilgrimage Goods and why are they following me? And then probably 30% of the time they end up following me back. And I've had sales from those people now on mine. So you're kind of forcing yourself onto these people that, you know, like similar products and putting yourself in their face to kind of get yourself around there. And it's, it's, it's working, but it's a constant hustle. Like you're constantly out there. Yeah. So many people selling the same exact thing that you're selling in some way or the other, it's vintage clothes. It's not the same, but you know, a similar mindset, but you need to get yourself out there. It's like, Hey, look at me, look at my business. Stop shopping at that person's store. We have the same stuff. You know what I mean? I'll undercut the price thing. You know, like, how would you say the community engagement is different than in person than online? Like, would you say your online audience is a little bit more interactive or would you say, you know, it's the other way around? Yeah. It's probably pretty, pretty similar. I, uh, maybe online a little bit more. At flea markets, people tend to shop a little bit more solo. Like they kind right. of walk around and sometimes they get skittish when you like approach them. Online, you know, people, 
you know, they could just post an emoji, like a fire emoji on a shirt or something. Yeah. Or, you know, ask you a little bit more questions. I feel like people open up a little bit more and I'm able to, to send uh, some more honest feedback and everything. So you can, I'm not sure that it's better one way or the other. I, you know, it's, it's definitely different. And we're just going to start wrapping up here, but I'm just going to ask one last question to end off on. And it is, what is your future goals for your business? Do you have any plans? Our future goals are to either sell everything and make space in our garage. Right. Or eventually, maybe try to turn this into a brick and brick and mortar store. We started it as a side hustle. We have full-time jobs and our full-time jobs are, are very demanding. Um, we both work in the costume industry and the film and television so you know I think we started as a goal of maybe this could be a segue to down the line kind of I'd rather work 14 hour days for myself than 14 hour days for someone else if we can get a brick mortar we can add furniture in the mix and fun things like that right that would be fun too I bring home vintage furniture you know knickknacks clothes like whatever I feel is old and cool I'm always bringing home you need the space for that (laughs) (laughs) great um you know once again Los Angeles is very expensive rents are just insane but you know vintage stores and vintage dealers like other vintage stores and vintage dealers you do better as a vintage store when you're in a row of vintage stores because then you become a destination for people but when you're a vintage store that's just kind of by itself on the block you don't do as well but yeah maybe eventually like i said a brick and mortar would be nice and we'll see yeah well thank you guys so much for talking about like the inner workings and like kind of like the backstage parts of you know having a vintage business and i feel like it's given people a really great understanding of like just how much goes into running these types of businesses so thank you guys so much for that thank you thank you so much for having us thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of local love on kuci in irvine tune in to next week's episode for more information on local resources near you The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule.